and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Hey, Rocky. Hi, Chibi. How you doing? I mean, this is my favorite part of the week. I think you all know that. So I'm right now doing fantastic. But boy, has it been a week. It always is. It's always the week, right? Um, I feel like I'm just a broken record every time I come on. And I'm like, another thing that just happened. Um, Another thing, another (laughs) catastrophe, another disaster, something that we're always reacting to. I think I'm kind of really tired um, of just being on the reactionary um, kind of end of this whole entire year. I just Mm. don't want to continuously react, right? But here we are. Here we are, another week in America. Uh, You know, our hearts go out to everybody in Boulder, Colorado, that's been affected by this mass shooting. And it's just, like you said, yeah, every week it's something. Um, And it's, I mean, it's been a year, if we're being honest, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in times like these, you know, like people turn to, to religion, to faith, their spirituality, to prayer, to try and find some some comfort, right? Some yeah. comfort or at least some hope in times like this. And um, I'm not a very religious person mm-hmm. per se. I grew up in the Catholic faith mm-hmm. and then said no. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I do consider myself very spiritual in sense, uh, but my mom is very much of the practicing kind of the faith. Uh, and so she, <laughs> is constantly giving us little, uh, you know, like little medallitas with the santos Mm -hmm. or like little cards, um, little pins of angels to put in our car. Every time that like we leave on a road queue, she's like, okay, mijito, we'll see you next time. And nombre padre, hijo, espíritu santo. I'm like, okay. You know, and even though I don't practice that faith, um, I I do believe in, in the protective power of the mom. Yes. and mom's energy. And so whatever she puts her energy towards, I will receive it. We have the medallitas on our doors yes. all over the place, you know, because yes. I think that that energy is so important and vital and like just flows through us, you know? Um, so. Yeah, I'm exactly the exactly the same way. I think when people are like, are you religious? And I go, well, I was raised Catholic. And they're like, that was an answer, no. <laughs> and I was like, it's a complicated answer. <laughs> So complicated, right? It's, you know, especially when you're Catholic, you, you're raised Catholic and you're, um, it's so funny because I feel like I was raised Catholic, but my mom was like really chill and she's like, yeah, it's, it's the thing to do as a Latino. We send you to Catholic school, right? Um, <laughs> Christian Catholic school. So for the majority of like, uh, when I was little, I was definitely in that religion, mm-hmm. but, um, and I think actually it going to Catholic school really helped me as an English major because there's so many like, and thought, you know, um, and anal- oh, I can't speak today. Um, <laughs> metaphors, right? I want to say metaphors. Mm. I want to say that a lot of um, writers use from the Bible. Um, mm. But I exactly the same way. Like my abuelita, she had, had gives me like this rosary that I put on my car. Like I like bless myself, right? And I like, <laughs> touch it. I was like, yes, protect myself. Um, it's always interesting when um, people come visit me. So this is like one of my rooms and you can see there's like a cross and people are like, are you religious? And I'm like, no, but it was my grandmother's. And if you see it in the middle, it's like a brown woman who's like surrounded by other women. And I think that's 
amazing. And obviously, you see the Virgen. Yeah. I know. I was going to say more than that. I love your little Esqueleto Virgen in the back. Oh, and you just had me thinking about like every time you go on a road trip, like touching the little rosary. We used to say, get a Sagrado Corazón del Buen Camino, que lleguemos con bien a nuestro destino. Okay, let's go. Ah! You know, these little prayers that like, even though, you know, I'm not of the practicing faith, it's the intention behind it, right? It's exactly. the energy and the intention that we put behind it that casts this like protective aura around us. I love that Ivory says that that's my family too. Y'all, if you're watching this and you're like, mm-hmm, toda mi vida, you know, <laughs> let yeah, us know. I definitely do. I do love that. I love this, uh, this energy that they're like constantly um, protecting you. My favorite thing since I've been in New York is going around with other like Puerto Ricans and they're like, bendiciones. I'm like, when I leave, I'm like, thank you. Bless <laughs> bendiciones. I will, I will take them, please. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we need all the bendiciones we could possibly get this year. Um, and I am so excited to have on today's poet, uh, uh on that because she has written an entire book that I almost dropped, <laughs> dedicated to La Virgen. Um, a lot of her work does kind of touch on that and as well as like the growing up in the Mexican community and things like that. So I also can't think of a better way to end Women's History Month then by having on our poet today. So today we have none other than Natalia Trevino. Natalia was born in Mexico City and grew up in Texas where her mother taught her Spanish and Bert and Ernie gave her the lessons in English. Her work captures the voices and lives of women who emerge despite everything that works tirelessly against them. Natalia has won several awards for her poetry and fiction, including the 2004 Alfredo Cisneros del Moral Award, the 2008 Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Prize and the 2012 Literary Award from the Artist Foundation of San Antonio. She graduated with a BA and a master's from your alma mater, Rocky, the yeah. University of Texas of San Antonio, beep and graduated beep. from... <laughs> beep, beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> I'm sorry. When I found out that this was the Roadrunner, I was like, me, yeah, me. It just yeah, goes across. <laughs> going on. Uh, she also graduated from the University of Nebraska's MFA program in creative writing in 2010. Natalia's poems have appeared in several publications, including Border Senses, Borderlands Texas Poetry Review, the Houston Literary Review, Sugar House Review, Silver of Stone, Burnt District, Voices de la Luna, and North Texas State's Inheritance of Light, and is the author of two poetry collections, Lavando la Dirty Laundry, and Virgen X. Y'all, show some love in the comments section and help us welcome to the stage Natalia Trevino. Wow. You guys are so much fun. I could watch <laughs> you all night long. Thank you so much for making me a part of this, of this program. And I love how you began thinking about what this year is, what it, what this year means to us, how it keeps kicking our butt, and how you said, Raquel, reacting you know how do we cope how does our energy not get so depleted when we're reacting and reacting and reacting and then if we think about the world like that then we will get very tired and we are tired who isn't tired exactly so, it's always you. reacting and then it's like do we even have time to process or does like run our body our soul have time to process and really because these are really traumatic events you know so can, are we processing this trauma um correctly you know for us mm -hmm. to heal Exactly. Yeah. How much are we going to harbor in our bodies for years to come, even after, you know, some of this is behind us? Because it's, I've drank language. a lot of tequila. And <laughs> let's just, let's just put it there. Tequila and language, actually. <laughs> mm. 
Mm, like because that. your body is processing when it speaks, when it tells its story. And so one of the things, and, and when you're writing, of course. So one of the things that, that we've got to do, it's not in our construct. It's not in our society. There's probably a million apps for it, but it really is taking the time to step back and reflect and write it or say it. My best friend is having a cup of coffee with somebody I really admire. And that's it. That's, that's what I have come to. That's all that matters. And this is like a really great cup of coffee being with you today. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I think that's a perfect way to segue to um, our next, you know, how we really introduce this segment or um, before we get to know you and your poetry. Uh, every time a poem comes in, what I do is we're going to be sharing a lot of intimate stories. And at this point, I do want to consider you as a friend or welcome you in the space as a friend. So with that in mind, you know, I ask all my friends, so how's your heart today? It could be today, this year, this month, um, this week. We just want to know, like, how's your heart doing? Well, it's racing and um, it's racing because I'm here and I'm excited to be here. It's, it's warm, uh, warmed by the fact that I think a long time ago I chose work that I knew would always comfort me and warm me. Um, when I became an English major, I was about 19 or 18 and my dad was terrified that I was going to live in total poverty. Yes. Um, <laughs> And I, I really thought that I was going to be homeless if I became an English major. And then um, I decided I had a, a vision when I realized that if I'm living under a bridge, I will have a blanket of books to keep me warm. Mm. And no one will want my books because, you know, people are not into <laughs> Who wants to steal a bunch of books from a homeless lady? And um and I, I imagine those books literally keeping me warm and feeding me and teaching me to be a writer, which I knew that would warm me. So my heart is is really in a, in a warm and stable place because I, I've chosen work that um, was risky, according to my dad, but it wasn't in the end. And also um, would feed that, I guess, that eternal curiosity. Mm. Um, but yeah, lots of terrible things happen today. I can't even start. <laughs> you know, it's, it's only seven o'clock. <laughs> Oh, well, keep going. Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you here for this, this hour that we're going to be together. And hopefully this hour is a cleansing hour for us all, you know, like you said, coming back to, to the language and the poetry and all of this that allows us to just kind of like shake away the evil of the day and just kind of sit in this beautiful uh, space uh, together with you. So thank you so much. Yeah. And seeing so, one another is absolutely not just metaphorically cleansing. It's literally taking what's in our mind. And we'll talk about that after, but I'm I wrote down your quote. I was like, we're going to talk about languages, how the body process. Like what? I want to get to that, but um, let's 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 get started with a little segment that we like to call speed dating. Uh, it just allows us to get the, uh, the audience get to know you really quickly. It's just a series of four questions. Feel free to answer them as in depthly or as concise as you feel necessary to answer them. Okay. Um, so first question, and I'm just assuming you have an answer to this because of your book that I read today. But first question. Who's your favorite santo? Who's your favorite saint? 
Oh, my favorite saint. Wow. Well, that's that's a complicated one because uh, who is a deity and who is a saint mm -hmm. among us, you know? And um, I didn't, like you, I didn't grow up with, I grew up with a Catholic tradition in Mexico, but my parents here in the U.S. were like, mm, they thought that there was a lot of hypocrisy in the Catholic Church, so they made sure I got baptized, they made sure I got my first communion, and they were out. Mm. So I didn't grow up with um, this saint and this saint and saints days um, in, my, in my consciousness. It's only later when I started working with Navidhan that I understood more about all the things you, you were talking about earlier, Ra Raquel, um, the, the literature, the importance of it in yes. American and British literature, which is what I studied, um, and how understanding who these saints were and how they were working on, you know, these writers that became more interesting. So I don't have a, I don't have a great answer. I, my spiritual person that I'm really like a lot is Our Lady. Mm. <laughs> just so, just so you know whatever answer you have is the right answer yeah. okay because this is your show <laughs> perfect perfect i think that's like great that you said our lady um you know in your writing you definitely talk about being a mother and you mentioned you know your grand like maternal figures in your writing mm -hmm. so i want to know like if you can name one who was the one maternal figure that you admire Oh no, can you hear me? The one maternal figure that I admire? Mm -hmm. Yes. The um, most, I'm assuming. <laughs> yes. It's the most of the most. Um, my abuelita Socorro, my mother's mom. She's the great inspiration of so much of my work. Um, this is rooted in my deep friendship with her mm -hmm. and my um, procrastinated grief after her passing. Mm. She, I was, I was accustomed to her living on the other side of the border. So I would shut off, you know, it's like when you talk to a friend that you don't talk to very often, mm -hmm. you keep going and then you come back and then everything's alive again and you're together again and you pick up where you left off. And that's what it was for me and, and my abuelita. And, um, she, she was so, so such a good listener and she also made fun of me beautifully she made fun of the way I spoke I cracked her up she thought I was funny how do you not admire that person the most? and um and she always called me mi reina and no one oh, what? Um, but I know what she was tapping into now that I've spent time with her favorite maternal figure which would be our lady and um and so definitely my abuelita Socorro and then her little sister, Licha, who was in Lavando La Dirty Laundry and it's always guiding me also. Mm. I, love, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanna let uh, people that are watching know, so like Eric just uh, gave us a question and we're gonna write that question down. We're definitely gonna get to it later. So send your questions through the comments people cause we will get to them. Um, this is my favorite question to ask. I ask it every show and sometimes it's a really quick and easy answer. And sometimes it's, it's a hard one. Okay. So the question is, what is your favorite dish? Oh, favorite? To eat. <laughs> Someone was like, teacup? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Mustache cup? Um, 
My favorite dish to eat would be um, arroz mexicano. Mm. I mean, there's just there's just no no nothing better, and it's it's just it's not nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> impossible to put down goes with everything and um when it's in that perfect golden red color and has the peas in it and the and a little bit of corn maybe and it's made with fresh tomatoes and that's where the red color comes mm -hmm. from and not the um you know the north suiza mm -hmm. um, it's just it's just absolute divinity to me mm -hmm. The Puerto Rican in Raquel is is having a moment, but I will no, share. I feel like that's fine. It's okay. Like it's okay. It's different. You we all, you know, we're raised by with different rice. Actually, Loki, I don't really particularly care for rice, but arroz con guandules is my favorite. But that is the way that I mean, whatever. Um, but so you know, I think talking about even rice, it's like the sense of home and belonging, right? Just food in general, traditional food. So. Um, Definitely, I know we talked a little bit about this, but what does home look and feel like for you? Oh, wow. What does home look and feel like for me? Um, there's there's so many physical places that home feels like for me. And and one of those places absolutely is tied to my wedding, Pascoro's house, mm -hmm. which was two houses away from a mechanics garage and a that became a bus garage and my grandfather was a mechanic and so the smells of gasoline and grease I'm like yes <laughs> oh I mean I really I mean they 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 remind me of being um, surrounded by love and family and um, they're not the most pleasant smells necessarily, and they're not really good for the environment, I know, but those 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 smells bring me home. And also, um, sometimes writers are afraid of the blank page, mm -hmm. and I used to be afraid of the blank page. I, I remember in fifth grade, a friend of mine gave me a beautiful journal. She knew I liked to write. It had a, one of those pretty puffy covers and cloth. It was a cloth purple cover, and it was all... I couldn't write in it. I was all constipated. I was like, <laughs> no, I can't mar it with some stupid thing that's going to come out of my brain. So it was the empty for years. And then one day I decided I could write on the second page because I wouldn't ruin the book. And I started writing a list of something. I don't know what it was. I never filled that book. But now the empty page is a home because mm. I know I can trust what I'm going to. I know I can trust page and feel safe um because you can rip it up no i'm kidding um, <laughs> but you can <laughs> because um yeah i've allowed myself to not enter a page having judgment um mm. against myself that it is a place for me to to release to process and to learn i mean when we write we learn and that's probably why a lot of us like to write so much mm. i love that <laughs> we both love that. I'm loving everything, and we're only 20 minutes in. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was just saying, like, even um, 
thank you so much for even like the first part because you're really describing my childhood. My grandfather was also a mechanic and uh, mm -hmm. my grandmother's house in New Jersey where like I was basically almost raised was also between a gasoline, like a gas station and a um, like a mechanic shop. So those smells are also home for me. So I'm like, wow, someone else is having this like <laughs> same, uh, feelings of home. So this is, wow, I'm already and so invested in emotional. <laughs> There we go. There we go. Well, usually we only do four questions for uh, speed dating, but uh, somebody in that's watching in the audience sent over a question that I think works for their speed dating segment. Uh, so let's just get get it going. Um, who is your favorite author? Oh, that's that's hard, and that probably changes, you know, depending on where where I'm sitting and and where I am at the moment. And I think today. Because of the, I haven't finished her work and I keep learning every time I reread the work I'm already familiar with. And I feel like there's an entire horizon with this author in front of me as a teacher and a model and a poet and a, and a leader. And that would be Gloria Anzaldúa, mm. very much mm. so. She is just... And what she does for my students, it's just so beautiful. I mean, the transformation they experience when they read her, I keep falling in love with her every single time. So um, I, I am so grateful for her work and for her badassness and, and just how she just dropped all the walls and mm -hmm. the rules and really said, come here, you belong here. Uh, yes, yes. Hearts for that one, says Vincent Cooper. Um, I'm teaching a, a four-part workshop, and at the end of every every session, I give them home fun assignments to go look up an author uh, okay. that they may not be familiar with, and Gloria was the first one. I'm like, week one, I'm like, y'all need to go look up Gloria, okay? Go learn yourself. No, you're like, I mean, you're like, exactly. So wonderful. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. So we're going to get into more conversation in a little bit, but right now we want to get into the words, get into the language. Uh, so we're going to duck out of here and hand the show over to you. Uh, before we do, people, you're already using the comment section, but again, this is a live show for a reason. We want that that interaction happening. So use the comment section to show some love. Uh, Natalia is going to bless you with some of her work. So if you're living for it, quote her in the comment section. Ask your questions. We'll write them down. We'll make sure we get them to her. Um, so at this point, Natalia, if you could please bless us with some poetry. Oh, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much, T. And I um, thank you, anyone and everyone who is um, participating and listening. Uh, I wanted to start with... Um, the first poem in Virgin X, because you might wonder what, why Virgin X? What is that? And is this woman really religious or, and it's not the poem, the book isn't about me. Um, poetry isn't about me. It's about um, that cleansing that we're talking about. That's that subjectivity and that discovery. And um La Virgen, what I discovered when I started becoming interested in her is that she does not have one identity. She has so many. She also busts the walls open with her multiple appearances, multiple names, multiple identities, over 22,000. And when I started working with her and being inspired to write about her, I thought, oh, I'll find out about each virgin and write a poem about each one. And that was completely impossible. 
So Virgin X has to do with her not being a single identity and um, and multiplying all over all over the world. So I decided to write Latin X to give, of course, a to talk about what I've discovered about the letter, the Latin letter X, and how it plays a little bit with our concept of of Latin X that we have, giving a nod to all the awareness that is happening as we are understanding multiple non-binary identities. So Latinx, and this is for Natalie Diaz, who is this poem I started in a class of hers. She's amazing. We learn X represents fishbone, removed from head and tail, rib cage meant to swim the full weight of the oldest bodied creatures so they could glide, eat, fuck as if in flight. Mysteries of the alphabet shows early glyphs of X as crooked ladder. Vertebrae deprived of muscle, skin, and fur, deprived of face or scales, without teeth, without tongue. X is 10, number for digits, spot on a map, oblique signature, my grandmother's. Her X, a skinned cross turned on its side, lacking the sheath of letters of cursive, those curves that would allow her to read the full sadness of her name, Dolores. Letters without cilia, providing locomotion to the seas of hurts and light that would come. My friends say Latinx, conquer nomenclature, replace the A, the oldest drawing for ox, encompass O, earliest signifier of ojo, eye, O carved into the soft stone to say, see this here, see. We have Malcolm, Lady, Generation, X must have been the first to equal MC squared. 24th letter, this carving of an eaten rib rack had lived in order to order the direction of organelles and skins taut length of cuts of bodies we quarter and grill of gills of wordless motherless bodies we cage in cages made of wire X's at the border of lungs holding them in place insisting on the melt of soft tissue, of knife bone survival. So that poem, not directly related to La Virgen, but I hope expanding this idea of the X and why that's before her name as I enter different areas of her. One of the projects I'm working on now, um, my study of her first was personal, dealing with grief after losing my grandmother, grief that came really late, procrastinated grief. And then it became academic as I was learning the theologies and the, and the histories of La Virgen. 
And then I was struck with a life-changing event. It became spiritual, quite a spiritual um, meditation for me. And one of those is studying and understanding the seven sorrows of Mary, which are seven moments in her life where she was really sad, Dolores. And I have a grandmother, Maria de, Lo, de Dolores, so that resonates with me. And so what I've done with this project is I've created what I'm going to call a, a bracelet of sonnets or maybe a rosary of sonnets uh, with the seven sorrows. And so I'll read one of them. And it's about the first sorrow. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. The first sorrow is what the prophecy of Simon spoken to Mary, um, telling her, about the birth of the baby and before the baby was even born. And he said, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. And I had to wonder what is thoughts out of many hearts will be revealed. Basically she was going to find out what jerks people were going to be to her son. That's not a good thing for a mom to think about, but every mom has to think that their child will go through pain. And that's what this first sorrow is about. Revealed like the surface of a dog's freckled tongue as she pants under the sun, the pink silk lilt of it undulated to hold a drop of water at a time, her open maw harmless, but still its sharp enamel points could open a body she should want. And for what so much revealing, Simon? Why use the sword, the words, thoughts of many hearts to frighten her? Those sharp enameled points, logical weapon for self-loathing, turned to another's body, to one which encourages reflection on sin, unlocking the desire to open a body, to reveal the slow matter of its decay on a bus curb or cross the desire that brings every mother her first sorrow the first time she holds her baby's timorous body and if i pray this right i am to remember that i too pierce her soul the pink silk lilt of her the fullness of her grace the moment she knew the future end of her child that he would die this particular way, newborn, and her body still seething, wound, wash rag between her legs to hold the holy ruby of her new drippings, the shimmering and ripped womb foretelling the luster inside the hearts of so many. The, the crowds call for burn, blood, and ash, the revelation of her son's unfolding skins, the latent prowlers haunched for years, kill in their sights, their desire to chew on tart blood, the knees steady pressure on the neck, the insatiable want of easy, the state as the hearts of the people, the people as its blood-soaked hands. The sorrows are dark, so I know. And also written during the time, during this time we're in now, where we are thinking so much about anti-racism and, and the cost of racism 
in our lives and in our communities. Um, so I'm going to read a poem that is a little bit more, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a moment of lightness in the life of La Virgen. Uh, it's not one of the sonnets. It's very different. It's called Illuminated. And so there's a lot of images of La Virgen um, where she receives knowledge that she is going to be mom, the big mama, right? God's mom. And they always show her the book of prayer and she's very prayerful. And sometimes there's this light coming to her head, um, which is the information that she's getting, the annunciation. And of course it comes with an angel talking to her, great stuff. So lots of paintings about this. This particular poem is, is uh, after the painting called Annunciation with Saint Emidius, can't say his name, by Carlo Crivelli, an, an Italian painter, Italian Renaissance painter. So it's called Illuminated, and it's in the voice of the Virgin, La Virgen, learning that she's going to be this bigger part of something. An access, a beam from the clouds lit my head as I bent over the book sometimes. A thread of radiance like a silk through a needle that dropped down and pierced my head to lift out my eye. Suspended in a room of white petals, of ocotillo blossoms, fingering the sky after rain. My lungs suddenly awake, not with breath or the making of breath. Sometimes with the book, the endless dark sky became a teal green cloth, a velvet I could fold around my body, and my eye escaped to sway above us both. Me, dust, a flicker, a float in the shine, how some of the thickest prayers measured the smallness of this day, packaged the words just this way, cut through the thicket of being a woman, of wanting a child, of bloating with child, of fetching water, wine, butter, of long hours spent waiting for dough to billow and bake. I was near the pool of sleep, nearly bored when it happened, thought it mere rain on my head when I learned light, earth, and her bright water had been aware of me all this time, knew of me. So this is the last poem. It's a little lighter, getting into a more secular world. Like I said, I'm not, the Catholic Church has written me out because I remarried someone. Apparently I'm going to hell. So I understand that, but still. La Virgen goes beyond the Catholic Church too. This is, I'm a teacher and it's my last poem and um, I teach creative writing, thank God. So much fun. And this is called Classroom Meltdown. Ruben Tiong brought 20 bags of ice to creative writing class today. 
Give us a prompt, Ida signed. It can be anything. Jessica began with three minutes of drumming. A way to hear our hearts, she said, and write. Quinn, a short film about a nihilistic horse who in suit and tie jumps off a bridge. Today, we have a nice chest full of Ziploc bags holding white frozen crescents, one baggie for each of us. Hold your bag anywhere, he said. Write down what it does to you. Said he took baths in ice after jujitsu, immersed his body in ice until it went numb. Made him quiet, made him think. Robert leaned back in his chair, draped the limp bag over his forehead. Kayla held it to her neck, quick to observe. It hurts in some parts of the body, not others. Like the way some stuff might hurt some people and not others, she said, hunting for her metaphor. You don't want the ice near your heart. This is true. Our bodies teach us to see. Mine liquefied between my hand and my sore right chin. I'm a runner now, have been running for three, four times a week, hitting the pavement alone since June, since the guy at the gym asked me if I had back surgery recently, or leg surgery, or if I wore high heels a lot, if that's why I ran like that. You're over pronating, he said in front of the class. It took months for me to run my first mile without panicking, without lungs bursting, without quitting. Have been running for months now, for years actually, running out of ideas, running late to class with all of my weight on the inside edge of my left foot all of my life, I suppose. Running to a glass of wine to a seat on a plane, running out of time, running into the heat of my husband's chest, into the self-loathing only a mother can know or a disappointing daughter, running with a fire at the end of my pen, my torch to connect one heart to another, one word at a time, forge a red table by an open window where our bread and heat and light are enough to share and thaw the frozen rivers between us. How this Ziploc bag holding this ice dissolved on our desk as we wrote, melted in unison with the pens dripping ink on our papers, on our clothes, each desk holding a tiny glistening poem a reflective lake. Thank you. Applause, applause, applause for the poet. <laughs> That's the most amazing applause. <laughs> We're living in a virtual world. We no, do what we can. Beautiful. You're beautiful. We love it. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Really? I, I don't know what to, where to begin. I feel like we, you know, we, we have our list of questions every time, you know, we come in, but 
that was breathtaking. Thank you so much. I think it was just very healing. Um, it was definitely something that I didn't know I needed to hear, but I'm glad that I did. Um, I, I'm going, like, I'm understanding your sorrow, but I'm also understanding your joy and I'm understanding like the blessings that your family and your home and what your words give not only to you, but to, to the audience as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Oh, Raquel, yeah. thank you. Come move in. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not the, you're not the only one that wants her to move back to San Antonio, okay? <laughs> I like you, Raquel, I just like, I, as she was going through her poems, I'm going through the questions that we prepared and I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much. There's so much I want to dive into. Uh, so, Raquel, first question's yours. Bye. I, I know, I know, <laughs> uh, I know. And I saw that. I was like, it's, it's fine. Um, I think let's go first with like the, your sorrows. Let's go. You know, mm. let's talk about this this path to healing, right? Yeah. I know. Um, when you're talking about your sorrows, you read the first sorrow, um, and it, you were saying that was heavy and it was sad. But at the same time, I think healing is not it's ugly sometimes it's not easy you know um and especially like i think the the moment that you said it, it was the first right of a mother to to experience the sorrow right um in your poem i think that is so um poignant of what we're trying to talk about so let me um so why let's talk about a little bit more why you were focused on the sorrows which sorrow was the hardest to write about and then how has it helped you to 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 um heal yourself? Well, I think I, I could tell you years ago, one of my tias um, probably heard me talking about being worried about my son. Mm. And she's like, oh, you need to pray a novena. And she gave me this little pamphlet. And I was like, mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what's a novena? And I don't do that. And, um, and after I started studying La Virgen and um, it really, when I started studying the miracles associated with La Virgen, mm -hmm. I understood why my grandmother was so dedicated to her because La Virgen gets stuff done. Yes. Period. Like she's in there, she's helping, she's interceding. She's she's like hands-on making the tortillas and making them taste good, you know? <laughs> and so I understood my grandmother so much more when I was learning about her miraculous nature. Mm -hmm. And... And then there was a there was a time when I really was um, worried about my son. He was going through some difficult time trying to choose between you know what he's gonna what he's gonna do with his life, and it was really hard because he's choosing between art artist and um, science. And the same question I had, right, which is I'm gonna be homeless if I become an English major. Um, so I just decided to go for it. And I, I somebody mentioned the seven sorrows, and I just decided to look them up. And there is literally an ad at the beginning of the link that I saw that's like guaranteed results. If you find these seven sorrows, she will come in and be fixing things. And I said, well, why not? We'll try this. So I started reading them. And um, and then I, you know, each night and I, and I would let them put me to sleep and take them in and they do make you reflect because right after you read the sorrow, you um, are supposed to meditate on what a bad person you are. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> how very Catholic. Yeah. yeah how yeah. very Catholic. <laughs> Wait, what, you already feel guilty for that. So I was questioning the sorrows as I was, I was working on them. 
But let me tell you, the boy had some epiphanies like three days into my Seven Sorrows journey. And I just kept going. I said, well, this is obviously working. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this. And of course, connecting to my grandmother and how she would have done something like this. So I started taking my sorrows with me, honestly, on my runs. Um, because I don't listen to music. I, I meditate and I think, and I, I think out loud and I solve problems and I practice stuff. So I was so, and they also got to keep the mind occupied so that you don't think about your sore right chin, chin and shin. (laughs) And so I started adapting the sorrows to what I want to say in response to the fact that Levitin got, had this painful experience. And I think one of the reasons why so many women connect to her is because she is a mom. Punto. As you were saying earlier, Chibi, you know, you believe in the mother love, the protective love of your mother giving you bendiciones or caring, because there's like something super powerful about mother love. And I think that um, tapping into her mother love through my own experience as a mother and feeling that kind of love, that cosmic love, and then um, trying to see how it also relates to mothers who've been through such incredible losses. Um, I've, I have been through some losses with motherhood, um, having lost three pregnancies, three, three babies. And so there, it's not the same. I know that, but, um, they're equally and even each one more devastating than the previous one, which you would think, why don't you get used to it? Never. So, um, and I recognized, okay, that part of my life has this no more. Um, but so, so my sonnets are my own, I guess they're manifesting my own response to those sorrows. And mm-hmm. as far as healing and what you're talking about, how does healing and language work together? Um, thank God I ran into Santa Cisneros after I experienced the tragic loss of a friend. Mm-hmm. And um, I was broken and really sad. And then I had just won this award and I was like, oh, will you read my poems? And and she just said, look, as long as you're creating anything, un trapito, ponte a tejer, draw something, make a dress, make a pretty plate, make a table, make something that will heal you. Keep doing it. Don't give up. And that was like earth shattering to me. I didn't even know that that was that writing and creativity were healing. I knew they were therapeutic, but I just hadn't put the two together. Yeah. And then, uh, thank goodness years later, she came to one of my classes to talk to the girls at the Bear County juvenile detention center. And she said to the girls, writing is medicine and it helps you take the glass out of your heart. And sometimes it's a really big piece of glass and you've got to write a lot to get every little shard out of your heart and keep writing, keep writing. You'll, this is how you're going to do it. And when she said that, I was like, Maga, you know, thank you. Because what she did and what she talked about earlier, Raquel, the power of metaphor, when you picture writing as that surgical improvement of the heart or healing of the heart. Yeah, it's painful. 
The heart's going to bleed when you take something out of it, no doubt. You have to go into the wound to heal the wound. It's a very painful process. But going into the wound allows you to see through it and the experience um, lets you get closer to it and it starts to lose its power. Mm, that's that's my <laughs> I can't wait to read it because like now this is you submitted uh, one of the sorrows to the anthology that we published last week. And I told you, I told you like it wrecked me absolutely wrecked me uh and then this is the second one that i hear i can't wait until you complete them and put it together like i'm first in line for that because like you have such a wonderful way of kind of like processing emotion uh and conveying it in a way to where it you, you kind of like hold our hand as we walk through this very very painful moment yes. um so yeah i can't wait for that to finish um, and I love how you just like casually yeah, was, was like, me that. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I think I over, I spoke over you. So I lost what you just said there. I but, said, go ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yesterday we were, we were, I was saying to you that I'm struggling with the sorrows six and seven, they deal directly with um, the crucifixion and the, and the, um, the body, uh, her facing the body and, and how terrible we must all feel that we caused this to happen to her, which is what the seven sorrows would tell you to feel, which yeah, uh, humanity is capable of atrocities as we well know, which is why we're constantly reacting to the atrocities, which are always in our face because we're always connected in our, social media and in our world, we're, we're so connected to each other um, now. Uh, so I am, I am struggling to finish that project, but I am, what I need is the quiet time to, to let that go through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, when it does come out, and I, I know that we have a lot of people that will probably be like first in line to get it. So we're looking forward to it. Like I said to you yesterday when we talked, I mean, take the time that you need because it's not hard. It's not easy getting into that headspace or getting out of it. But uh, clearly what you've done so far is phenomenal. Uh, and what I was going to say is like, I just love how you were just like, oh yeah, me and Sandra, when I ran into her at HEB, essentially, <laughs> so casual. <laughs> yeah. um, she is such a generous kind friend and person and does run into people at HEB and just starts, you know, giving them poetry books and the, you know, if you're having tacos with her or on your, on your way to one of her favorite tacos is the Dairy Queen taco. And um, one night we were trying to go get some and they were closed and we were like, ah, what are we going to do? <laughs> and so we ended up going to a different taqueria and she, the, the little waitress, she was giving her books of poetry and she was like, you sign it too, Natalia. And I was like, I'm not in that book. She goes, yeah, but you'll be in it one day. Just sign it. Tell this girl that she needs to go to college and she needs to do this. And she just, she really opens up to people quite generously. And um, and that I'm so grateful to have someone in my life that's like that because yeah. as a teacher, as a mentor and to say, hey, she's really a kind person. Yeah, I, I love I love it. I, I um, one of my mentors because I went to ETSA, got my 
BA and master's in English as well. So it's in the same program. Um, so you probably know, some, you know, Dr. Sonia Saldiva Hall, right? And she would always, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she would always call Sandra Cisneros La Sandra. And I'm like, Sandra, you know? <laughs> Es que la Sandra es muy cabrona. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, when I was at UTSA, it was really, uh, Sonia was not there. And nor was there a single Latino in my program. Never oh. did I have a single Latino professor in my entire life. In San Antonio. Uh, in San Antonio. And I graduated from there in 92 or 93. I mean, y'all were babies. Y'all were probably not <laughs> So... Um, that's okay because the program, every time they would ask us to fill out, would you come to a PhD program? Uh, I would always say yes, because I wanted UTSA to grow in that direction. And then they did grow their PhD program that they did start to, they did the focus on border and, and Mexican American studies and Latin mm -hmm. studies. So they, they really brought in Norma and Sonia and yes. So many greats, Benolguin, you know, so many people that mm -hmm. changed the whole complexion, literally, of La Utsa. Yeah, <laughs> well, really, really did. And absolutely, that was going to be one of my other questions of like, you know, how, you being in that program. And I've just, I didn't recently, but it's been like four years since I graduated from my um, MA program there. Um, and yeah, I just know that UTSA's program had one of the most like, Latino or Latinx professors in all the nation at the time, you know, and their PhD was like known for a focus in Chicana and Latina literature. So I want to say thank you for filling out those surveys because of you, I was able to have a lot of like mentors and professors. So I, I appreciate you also creating that pathway for students like me and my, and my other colleagues and cohorts. So I think, and it was me and my friend, we were all saying, yes, Say yes. Let's let this program grow. And so, no, I won't take credit for it. But now I will for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> for a minute, like we, like I said at the top, this is your show. All right, yeah. everything you say is right and valid. Um, so you talked a little bit about what you're working on with the Seven Sorrows, uh, which is some forthcoming work. I want to talk about uh, your last book, uh, Este Virgen X, which I yeah. devoured today devoured absolutely like I, I i went out on my back porch it was a beautiful day in san antonio i know rocky you're up in new york but it was a beautiful spring day in san antonio okay all right good so i sat out on my back porch my dog was like making sure that our vegetable garden doesn't get attacked by squirrels and i just devoured this book and absolutely loved it um you answered one of my questions in terms of like why uh, when you read your first poem. Um, but I want to, like, you really take us on a journey in this book. It really goes so many places, um, especially in that poem, the, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Cuatlicue. Cuatlicue. I did not expect where that poem was, like, it just took us on this journey. It had this, like, Jack Kerouac on the road vibe where it just, like, kept going and going and going. And there were layers and layers and, like, so much to it uh, that by the time I finished the book, I just, like, sat there and was like, hmm, I think I need to call my mom. Um, <laughs> it was a lot to it. So I guess, you know, where I'm going is, like, what was the process of putting this together? Because clearly there was a ton of research you clearly did a ton of travel. 
Um, it is such a um, both in depth and expansive, but also concise collection of like everything that Our Lady La Virgen uh, is. Well, thank you for saying that you wanted to call your mother. Uh, that is what it says on page 21, actually. <laughs> um, but it, 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 the process of, of, this, of this book, like I said, it was, it started with this actual work of art that's on the cover. I just scrolled on my Facebook one day. It's a, it's a pencil drawing by J. Michael Walker. And I saw this image and I had such a visceral reaction to it. I started crying. Mm. I didn't understand why I was crying. And I started to look at it and analyze it and think, why is this painting having this effect on me? Because I was not, um, I'm barely a lukewarm Catholic. And um, I'm stealing that, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't understand it, but I, it was like seeing my own grandmother in this room, in a room like the room she had in, in Mexico, a twin bed, a pink cover, um, doing some embroidery on the side of the bed. The posture of La Virgen here, uh, the little tennis shoes is my abuelita Raquenel who, who only wore tennis shoes, but my abuelita Socorro only wore dresses, never put a pair of pants on in her life and did have this little calendar in her wall, you know, that little Mexican calendar, and did have a big picture of Jesus on her, you know, bedroom wall as well. Of course, this, in this case, it's her son, so that makes it even, but it just, I don't know, the posture, the incredible power of this image made me want to understand why does this image matter so much to me? So it was such a visceral, emotional response that the only way to deal with something like that is through poetry, because otherwise, you're choked up, you're clogged up, you don't understand something and you and, and we're we're used to living in a world where we don't understand everything. We constantly don't understand something like right? we live in the gap between understanding something, wanting something, and not having either. And we're somewhere in between that at all times. But at least through poetry, we can stick our arm out and reach and learn something new by entering poetry. So it was such a powerful emotional beginning that I had to go back and say, well, which Virgen was my grandmother really into? Mm -hmm. My cousins all said, La Virgen de Guadalupe, Mensa. And, um, but that's not the Virgen I saw my grandmother interacting with. I saw her interacting with La Virgen de San, San Juan de los Lagos. So I was literally Googling Virgin, blue, looks like a rocket ship you know, to figure out <laughs> which fortune my grandmother was praying to. We become approximate with poetry. Thank you, Carolina. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Um, thank you for being here, Carolina. And Levi, I saw you. Thank you so much. And Mauricio. Um, so I, I had to learn, well, who was this beaten? Why was my grandmother so into her? And um, when I learned about this, this virgin, I realized my grandmother lived, was alive through some of those miracles that are very well documented, associated with her. The, the miracle of what happened in San Juan, Texas, um, the, the miracle of 
what happened in Guadalajara, which is not in this book, but it's it has to do with bringing the Virgen de San Juan to, te to Texas. Major miracles, it literally had to do with La Virgen migrating over here. And my grandmother was alive in the 50s when the, when the Guadalajara miracle happened, and she was alive in the 70s when the San Juan miracle happened. And um, I said, I, I just have to, just writing it down in plain English was poetic because I couldn't believe what I was learning. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had so many crazy coincidences when I was doing this work and heavily, heavily into the research. Um, one of them is in in the in the book in that journey poem that you're talking about, where my friend and I just were doing a road trip. She was coming home from Newfoundland, Canada, to Omaha, Nebraska. My friend, um, another poet, Jen Lambert, and we were via Montreal. We were I'd never seen Canada. I just wanted to see some trees. I really just had no <laughs> hopes. She just needed to get home. And I was like her driving companion. And I was like, I get to see Canada for five minutes. So she just picked random hotels and random things. And the first random hotel she chose was in Montreal. And as we were 20 minutes away from Montreal, we we knew we had one night to have one dinner in Montreal. So we would see Montreal for 10 seconds before it got dark and 20 minutes in the morning before we had to take off to the next destination. And we found out, oh my God, the city is named after the Virgin Mary. How is this? Wow, what an amazing coincidence. And then, wow, there's a major basilica in Montreal. We're not gonna get to see it because we have no time. And there's, we, have, we had a dog, we had Vinny the giant, beautiful, <laughs> very old geriatric dog with us. <laughs> In every hotel room, I mean, pobrecito. And um, we, we weren't going to go church shopping, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we were lost trying to find the hotel, going all these French streets and Siri speaking to us in French. And we were like, ah. And then, but I had my heart a little bit like, oh, it'd be cool if I could see that basilica. Kind of, her hotel is literally on the same block as the basilica. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's the same block. Like, it was not even a whole block away. It was a half a corner away. And while we were lost going in three circles, and my friend was not getting lost in Canada. She had lived there for a year or more. She knew where to go. She just couldn't find the entrance to the hotel. And it made us go so many times until we finally got to a circle. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't talk anymore. I mean, <laughs> You scared me. I thought we lost you for a second. I was just couldn't speak. You Great. know, I was crying. And then I got to see this. But you know what's interesting about it? It's not just, oh, she's so magical. The the artisans who built such places as the basilicas. What were they going through when they were making these elaborate, beautiful spaces, these architectural homes, right, for, for Our Lady, something good enough for her that brings miracles to everyone left and right? The artwork, all of the emphasis of, of um, the, the blend of indigenous life, and the French Canadian life that's in this that's in this incredible basilica, it's 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 absolutely supposed to be breathtaking, 
but the coinkadink of it was just absurd. And that has happened to me with basilicas accidental four other times where I did not plan them at all. And I was like, I'm in front of a basilica that I was hoping to see one day. Yeah. It just, it, so I have, I could do a whole, yeah, show just about this, <laughs> this journey. I was like, I don't think it's accidental anymore. It's, you know, it's the universe. That's maybe your, you know, Abuelita who's like guiding you constantly there. So that's how I see it. <laughs> I, I love that. And you're right. It started to become like, why is this happening? And how is this not, how is this not an accident? How, how is it not an accident? Mm -hmm. And it's so not. Laura, Laura says that was certainly a diocidencia. <laughs> yes, There's a new one. <laughs> beautiful. I want to write that down. That's really <laughs> Steal it. Copyright it. Done. <laughs> Can't use it yes, anymore. Well, let me ask, you do a beautiful job of painting the picture of all these basilicas that you coincidentally uh, run into. Um, and so the book deals with the spiritual, right? You're talking about La Virgen, right? Our lady. Um, but you connect it in a very earthly way. All the images are very earthly. Everything is very grounded. It's about human experience, the things that you're going through. Uh, it's a lot there's a lot of human and not divine in the book, but still you're talking about, you know, the divine. Tell, talk to me a little bit about that choice because it does ground it in a very relatable way, even though you're talking about, you know, all the different forms that the Vedahan has taken over millennia. Yeah, I'm so in love with that question because that is, we have our five senses, right? So the, our, our access to the world is through our five senses. And then, yeah, we can reach some more ethereal, elevated, um, trans, transformative echelons of thought. But um, what I keep discovering and kept discovering is that this, and it, it comes back from that early childhood Catholic teaching that the divinity is inside of you. It's inside of the person you love. Mm. And that is what's divine here. Mm. Right? That is, it's not the invisible creature. It's literally in your DNA makeup. Um, your ability to love, your ability to see beauty, that's divinity your ability to um, care about another person, that's, that's divinity to me anyway. And so by, by helping us and, and by me understanding her at, particularly as a, as a human, but then she's also Guadalupe, she's also this mother creator um, figure uh, with long history that goes for millennia. But to understand her as a as a human body does help me have um, compassion for her, mm. and I think that that is exactly what the message that a lot of painters were trying to create to a pre-literate um, populace in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance, when when people were looking at you know 
they didn't have literacy, but they would learn about the stories through the paintings and the images. And what women would see one girl up there, right? They had one woman to look at and it was her, but what would they see? Oh, that is her belly. Mm -hmm. There she is swollen. That is her breast. There she is breastfeeding. That is her sad face when her son is dying. Mm -hmm. That is her sorrow. I connect to her. I feel for her. I want to be protected by someone like that. I, I understand how she feels. So there's this overlap that I think um, women experience when they, when they see her. And um, if that invites us to think that you, Chibi, Chibi and that you, Raquel, are like sacred beings here today and every single person listening, then hell yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I am. Um... I'm like, I have so many questions um, <laughs> for this. I think let's let's keep on the topic of like motherhood and Qualique, um, just because, uh, you know, I can make connections to Gloria Sandula and I know that you really love her work and she has, she writes her work around that, right? Um, and so I'm just like, yes, as this mother deity, this like, this, all creating deity um but then when you kind of went to like this so i was thinking about gloria zandola's question and then i was now i'm going towards how you were describing Guadalupe's body and the swollen breasts and how um and the and the stomach and how she can relate to other people and i i want to now talk to you about your book um Le Monde la, la dirty laundry and segue to that for a little bit too um because Wow. Wow. You are literally <laughs> airing like almost dirty laundry. I remember when I started reading and I kind of reread it um, before today and and the intimacy, right, of this. And you do actually describe, um, you know, losing a child and, and the miscarriages and like what your body, even though your body's swollen because it's preparing for this child that, you know, you may be lost. Um, Wow. I, I want to say, first of all, thank you, because I feel like a lot of people don't really write about that. And that's so hard. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not a mother, but, you know, those are always concerns about like if I were to have a child or like I know people around me who, who experience that. Um, so I think what I want to know is like why? So just the same way as these painters are you're painting, like why did you decide to write these intimate, you know, poems about yourself, your body? Um, about motherhood and this and love and loss of love and your and your family as well. Well, I think it again it has to do with the the genesis of poetry coming from a, a really strong emotional moment. Mm -hmm. Um a, a strong whack to the heart. Mm. A smashing of your head, a smashing of like crushing crushing things. And I hate to say that that's the genesis for um, all of my creative work. It, it, it's not, but it's a part of it because these really strong blows, they don't, it's not just that they throw pain at us. They throw questions at us. Hmm. Um, and they, they throw um, uncertainty at us and uncertainty hurts as well. So, one of the one of the ways to handle them is is to, I mean is to let them sit in your mind and is to let them process through as we were saying earlier the the power of 
telling a story is the power of, of healing yourself. And, you know, we do have a lot of intergenerational trauma. We're aware of it. It's documented. And I, and I have been listening to scholars talk about this and think about this. Um, Christopher Garamona, particularly, who um, has done a lot of research with this. And I said, is there, I asked him, is there a tracking of reversing some of those genetic um, injuries and changing this, this chemistry? And has that been documented? Is that, I mean, is that, is that storytelling healing is what I'm saying? You know, does it actually, and, and he said, actually it does. And then he talked about Sandra Cisneros's own genetic study of herself that she that was done for her, beautifully done and thoroughly done. And they found all these storytellers behind her, mm. um, that artists and storytelling behind her. And I, and, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So if we're healing ourselves by telling stories, we're, we're actually changing our own body chemistry. Wow. Um, so, and that was, that's not necessarily the intent of, of some of these poems, uh, especially Lavanda La Dirty Laundry has my very first poem I've ever published, Zapatos Blancos. It's the first poem in the book. Mm -hmm. It's about my other abuelita, Raquenel. And, um, and there again, it was, I was just so struck by this, by this question and the way she answered it. When I said, why do you wear white shoes? Like, why do you like them? She's like, oh, what the, what's the deal? And I just, what an answer she gave me. They make white shoes make me feel young. Yeah. And I stuck with that, with that answer for years. And um, it was, it was so good to write about it and think about what made her think it was young. So it's, I think discovery and, and yeah, partly it's, it's partly self-discovery, but it's also um, discovery of the questions that are, that, that um, complicate my life or complicate my world. Yeah. So yeah, love is going to be one of them uh, going through a, a unhealthy relationship, an unhealthy first marriage and finding in that book it tracks, you know, my falling in love with my, my, my hubby, who's, you know, still with me, thank goodness. And uh, just, we always say anyway, <laughs> <laughs> No, I really do appreciate it. It was just very intimate. And I, I definitely was going through the emotions with you. And I think I'm, um, especially with like the, the journey of love, like it was very healing to be like all these heartbrokings and, and broken and this toxic, you know, going through toxic relationships to now trying to find someone to, to love me, right? Mm -hmm. um, not complete me, but to share me and love me. I think I just wanted to say thank you. Just mm. like these words in the book are healing, this conversation is healing. And yeah, really I'm, I'm just struck by what you're talking about, like how storytelling literally changes your DNA, you know, and goes back to the first thing that, you know, you said that I wrote down that I'm like, this is, this is something to live. Language is how the body processes. So, uh, so amazing. Um, we could go on for hours. I feel we, we, st I, I'm looking at my list. There's still like seven questions oh, that I want to ask. Um, but I want to end on this idea of language and I want to end on a, on a lighter note, uh, because we've talked a lot about grief, about sorrow, about healing and all that. Um, so you are a highly educated woman. 
woman. You know, you got two masters. Um, you teach at a college. Uh, we we could probably spend three hours talking about teaching during a pandemic, but we're not. Um, but you have this. Is despise too strong a word or not strong enough for what you like to call language snobs? You know, like what do what does that term mean to you? Why is it counterproductive to advancing the accessibility of literature? And then to ask what Eric asked at the beginning, how important is grammar to poetry anyway? A very complicated, great question with a complicated answer. Sorry, I threw like seven questions at you. Right, poetry, no, I love it. No, I'm, I'm talking about, is it Eric's question? Yeah, how important is grammar in poetry? Um, one question, one question, I mean, I teach comp one, so I have to grade my students and their essays on clarity, right? And we want clarity in poetry too, but it can also happen by mimicking the way we speak. And that is through broken grammar. Um, I, I had one professor in my entire life or really one person in my life I've ever known because every single sentence he spoke was a complete sentence. And he was my logic professor, <laughs> Dr. Miller at UTSA. And I would listen and I was like, oh, I guess. How does he do that? I, no one does that. No one. So um, there, it's it, it definitely, we want to have some clarity in the poetry, but, but we don't want it. We don't need to follow any kind of formal grammar. And the language snobbery, it's super important to me because um, the the language snobs are going to be the people, in my opinion, are the people who um, weaponize grammar against mm -hmm. other people, mm -hmm. who um, use it to oppress mm -hmm. other people, who um, use it to establish a caste system. Mm. No, we're not going to hire you. No, we're not going to rent to you. No, we're not going to you know, interact with you. We're not going to have this conversation any longer. Language oppression exists in its real thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, it removes access. It blocks brilliant people from getting into colleges, for example, on the SAT, which luckily now it's bye-bye test, bye-bye test, been questioned for a long time should be questioned everyone knows it's ha it has its limit but there are brilliant people who have who are blocked because of the language um purists or the snobs that say well that's not really good english or that's not correct english or that's not correct spanish especially the snobs who would turn their nose at the blend of english and spanish whether it's um Puerto Rican English Spanish blend, or a Dominican Republican English Spanish blend, or a Mexican American English, or a Tex-Mex English. I mean, there's so many right varieties yeah. of the blend, and um, it creates for a world of rudeness, crudeness, um, dismissing of individuals. I find that very offensive mm -hmm. because the whole point of language is for us to communicate with each other. And that's why clarity is important. So yeah, there's some, there's some um, clarity issues that 
I would I would attend to in my own poetry. I I make grammar mistakes in my own poetry all the time. Um, because well, I'm trying to capture my dialect, but I'm also trying to capture a tight, condensed version of my dialect. Mm. And so I'm going to break rules and include fragments, etc. Um, and and do verb first verb tense shifts, um, etc. But in my own home. My dad was one of these language purists. He was not, I was not allowed to um, speak English in Mexico and I was not encouraged to speak Spanish here in the US. And he would not, if I did speak Spanish here, it was pure Spanish. He did not want me mixing. Mm. He grew up with a lot of these classist ideas about, about language, but he did tell me that he understood the border better because of what was happening to me as a three-year-old when I was trying to learn both languages at the same time. And he, he loved the story and he's, I mean, he, he loved to tell me the story to help him. He said, this helped me understand why the border language is what it is. He said, you came up to one day and you said, quiero una boqueta. And I was asking for a bucket. <laughs> In English, and I knew quiero una, which means I want. And my dad was like, what the hell is going on with this kid that she's trying to, you know, but he realized I was just putting words together yeah. that I, that I knew and that the, and the, the brain, here's the other, here's why it's so offensive. The human brain is an organic, it's an organ, right? Just like our heart is an organ, our tummy is an organ, your, your left shin is an organ, right? You have all these organs. Well, maybe it's not an organ, your muscles, system is an organ, <laughs> whatever, but it's an organ and it is, what does it produce? It produces dreams, it produces words, it produces reasoning, knowledge. It's the excrement of the brain is our language. <laughs> literally, literally, that's why your program is the best title in the word, words and shit. Literally the shit excreting out of our brain. It's gonna be organic, it's gonna be messy, and no one can tell me that English is pure because English is a big giant mess of it is. vomit starting with <laughs> literally of the, of the vulgar languages, right? They were considered the vulgar languages that came out of vulgar Latin and those were Spanish, French, Romanian, Catalan. Um, and, then, and then the language of the people, right? These languages, this language of the people that spoke that were selling potatoes to each other and and wax part, part, you know, in interacting with each other, they were the, it's the human languages they were speaking, right? Mm -hmm. So then it evolves into English and, and it's still evolving. The English we speak today is not the English of 1950, it's not the English of 1970, and it's not the English of 1870, mm. right? So it's organic. You can't say that this radish is wrong. You can't say English is wrong. It came out that way. So great. I can't think of a better sentiment to end on. Language is the excrement of the brain. Welcome to words and shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. You're funny. Well, this has been a fantastic hour of, and then some of conversation. Like yeah. I said, I think Rocky can agree. We could, we could probably keep going. I know. I feel like when we went, were going in, I was just like, oh my God, this conversation is going really fast. Um, but before we go, I definitely, we always invite our poets to at least close us off with one more poem. 
So if you can please bless us and make us, you know, heal even more um, and get closer to this healing session, can you please share your words? I would love to. I have one. I have one short poem, and um, I'm excited about this poem. It's something that it, after studying so many, it's going back to Virgin X, so much imagery with La Virgen, um, how she's been interpreted for millennia. Um, I had a moment of awareness of what a, a witness is, right? There's the religious concept of witness, like testimony and witness. Well, this is a poem called Witness. That we make her a compiled human is understandable. Sandro Baricelli had Simonetta Vespucci, his Venus for birth of Venus. Every blonde in the trials of Moses displayed in the Sistine Chapel. The girl, the ones whose eyes beg for a kiss in the temptations of Jesus. Both Flora, goddess of flowers for Christ's sake, and the gazing camera-hungry flower gatherer in Primavera. Simonetta was crowned grace. Madonna Magnificat had himself buried at her married feet when he died. How else to imagine divinity than with the faces we love? It's what we do. Bear the ephemeral, worship what is left. Wow. Round of applause. Y'all need to show some love in the comment section. <laughs> they are actually, they are. Thank you so much for coming. Um, thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you for sharing your words. You are absolutely just pure sunshine, pure light. I just want to say loose, right? Um, the same loose and like warmth that we find in like our saints and our, you know, Vidhan, I feel that from this conversation and, and definitely this conversation has made me feel like home. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me and being so much fun on this, on this program and the show or just keep it up. I'm just, I'm so looking forward to watching more of them and y'all are doing an amazing job. And thank you for donating to Macondo, a great writers organization that has nurtured me and loved me and taken care of me and of course sending me out into the world to um connect more writers to each other so thank you if you donate to macondo it's a great great cause awesome and i know we have it displayed on the screen right now but for anybody that's listening to the podcast after this live show if people want to find your books if people want to find their work where can they go to get a copy of your amazing work um it's on amazon um the Lavanda La Dirty Laundry certainly is. And then Virgin X comes through my publisher, Finishing Line Press. So if you Google it, the link will take you to there and just order a copy. It has a hardcover version and a softcover version. Um, and I'm super excited about that. And I, and I hope to have another full length virgin book unfold in the near future. <laughs> yes. Awesome. No, wait, 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 wait. 
Mm, thank you so much, Natalia. Thank you so much. Have a great night, Raquel, Chibi, and everyone else. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Raquel, sometimes I struggle with kind of like wrapping up the the um, the, the conversation and like bringing it down to like a single word or feeling, but not tonight. Not tonight. Tonight, I just feel blessed. Mm. Punto final. And end stop, hard, hard, done. I just feel blessed from this conversation. Um, there was somebody that was watching that's uh, in the workshops that I'm teaching. Uh, and Lynn was saying, um, I, I want to quote him exactly. I needed to hear this tonight. I needed to hear this tonight. I think we all needed Natalia's words, uh, both in her poems and in everything that she broke down in our conversation. Like, I need my my soul needed tonight. No, I definitely feel the exact same way. If we're gonna, it's healed. Um, definitely feel like home. Like you have no idea. I think I love San Antonio because of these magical mujeres right um these elders like people that i've learned from and it's just puro magic really (laughs) (laughs) puro magic puro 210 puro 956 puro south texas I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, let's th- let's thank some people and get on out of here because some of us have dinners to eat, make drinks to consume. What if, you know, long journeys into New Jersey to I, traverse. I know, I know, and we're in different you know time zones. So let's do this. So again, we want to say thank you to the audience, and if without you, we really wouldn't have a show. So thank you for coming back every week. If you are completely new, thank you for coming and showing support. Um, for our poets today. Um, please come check us out. We're cool, pretty cool people, I think. And we bring <laughs> cool poets. Check us out. Um, and thank you for our production crew. We have Dominique, who um, just behind the scenes. She's amazing. One day she's going to come up here and we're going to just really give her a round of applause. So until then, because she's shy, um, we appreciate you. And then, of course, for our intro um, song that you heard is Chris Conde. Um, thank you so much. Um, go ahead, Chibi. Yeah, and uh, whether this is your first time or you've been with us before, make sure you follow uh, us on Instagram and Twitter. It is Words and Shh on Instagram and Twitter, so you can find out about all the amazing uh, poets that we still have to come in this season. We're only halfway through with season two, um, and uh, there's so many good poets left on this roster, but there was also poets that have come before and in season one, so if people want to catch up on past episodes what can they do raquel uh you can definitely um watch the past episodes on youtube or anywhere you can go and get your podcast so after this has done you can follow us on youtube and it'll be already uploaded but yeah go listen to us and go tell your friends that we have an amazing podcast uh, and subscribe, please, and rate and review whatever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, next week, so excited for next week. Um, our guest is going to be a re- recently published Poetry Prize winner, um, Josh Wynn. Josh Wynn is joining us next week, y'all. Uh, he is getting his PhD out of the University of Mississippi. I don't know if that's the exact university, but I know it's in Mississippi. He's from Houston, Texas, fellow Texan. Um, just won a chapbook contest and won a full-length poetry contest that's going to be published soon. 
I can't wait to have him on his show. Uh, so come in next week, same time, same place, 7.30 Central Standard Time on the Write Art Out Facebook page of the Words and Shit YouTube page. And also thank you to Write About Now for allowing us to broadcast on their Facebook channel as well so that we can get these amazing poets in front of more audiences that they deserve. So that's that. With Alba, thank you so much. Buenas noches. Good night. Bendiciones. Stay, Bendiciones. Stay safe out there. Sagrado corazón de buen camino que lleguen uh, muy bien a nuestro destino. Okay, I butchered that. What? Gracias. I felt it.